This episode of the Pacey Tapes is sponsored by Queen's Crown Jewels. Stand out shine, priced for artists. For premium glass and jelly rhinestones in a variety of colors, sizes, and shapes, visit queenscrownjewels.com. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Let's kick off this episode with a few top-of-line announcements. First, my 30th birthday and second quarantine birthday is next Wednesday, March 24th, and hopefully you're listening to this in time because I would love to celebrate my birthday with you. Throughout the pandemic, I've been taking Coco Electric's BOA class, which happens every Wednesday through Zoom via the Austin Academy of Burlesque. If you're a burlesque performer who has a BOA or a long scarf and you want to celebrate my 30th birthday with me, Join us next Wednesday, that's March 24th at 8 p.m. Central Time for Show My More's 30th Birthday Boa Bash. The class is tip-based for our awesome instructor. And to register, send an email to austinburlesqueclasses at gmail.com and celebrate with me. If you want to know what else I want for my birthday, just visit my Instagram because I've been talking about it and... Just talking about it is a lot of fun for me. I'm not generally a big birthday person, though. But I would love to celebrate my birthday with you in BOA class. Okay, second announcement. I feel like I'm in high school right now doing, like, morning assembly announcements. Did you all have that? Okay, anyway, second announcement. Burlesque academic and performer extraordinaire, one of my favorites from BHOF 2019, Forza from Toronto is launching a Legends panel hosted by the University of Toronto. This panel is called Spectacular Striptease. This is a free event to attend, and it'll feature panelists Judith Stein, Kaina, Shauna the Black Venus, and a special tribute to Marinka. For more details and to register, see the link in the show notes or reach out to Forza at Forza Nature on Instagram. Okay, are we ready to jump into today's episode? My guest today is an international award-winning performer, host, instructor, producer, graphic designer, and editor. This is someone who is mega talented and mega hilarious. They won the title of Most Comedic at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2017. This episode was actually recorded before the 2020 Top 50 was announced. So this year they were ranked the seventh most influential burlesque performer of 2020. My guest today is the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is my conversation with Tito Bonito. Tito Bonito, thank you so much for being on this episode of The Pasty Tapes. Thank you so much for having me, Shomai. Yay. Okay. All right. Let's jump into it. I'm going to ask you the question that I start basically every episode with. Tito Bonito, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Can you tell me your burlesque origin story? Uh, Yes, I would love to. Actually, my burlesque origin story uh, starts in Chicago. I moved out there from uh, my hometown of Miami to go to school to study theater. I won't say the school because I dropped out. But at the school, I met Jeez Louise, who is the greatest burlesque performer of all time, in my opinion. And uh, we met each other way before burlesque, but... um, 
meeting and then finishing college, I tried to figure out what my voice was going to be as far as performance because I knew I wanted to perform, but I just wasn't really clicking with acting, which is what I was studying. And um, it was kind of when I tried to do drag that, and I gave it a good humble like five tries, but when I tried to do drag, it was Jeezy and, you know, the good core group of friends, like you had Bazooka and Reagan talking about having the good, right people around you to be honest with you about your art and understanding where you're going with it. And drag just wasn't that for me. And I knew that. And Jeezy was like, let me show you something. And then she showed me the stage door Johnny's. And the minute she showed me these men, especially Bazooka being funny on stage, I was like, I want to go to there. Like that's, I want to do that. And the rest is history. That is such a brief but deep Chicago story, right? You have (laughs) the college that you went to that a lot of performers um, in our city have gone to. You have Mm -hmm. Jeez Louise and you have the stage door Johnny's and Bazooka Joe being comedic and sexy and all of those things. So your first burlesque show was seeing the stage door Johnny's. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing. It was at the Subterranean in Chicago. Um, It was uh, with them in the Dolls of Doom. So it was half men, half women in the show. And that's what I think was the biggest thing, because at that point, I had seen Jeezy do a couple of the shows, and I had seen, like, other productions that were, like, uh, happening around that time. And all of those shows had been all women in the shows and all women in the audience, for the most part. So it was very much a feminist art form in my brain. So when Jeezy showed me, like, this whole other side of TikTok, I was like, wait, what? I could do this? And I don't, like... Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I personally just didn't want to, like, I wanted to identify myself more in the masculine side of it. So seeing that that was an option and figuring out how I can make it mine and not just copy Bazooka, that was something that was, like, super exciting to me because I felt like there was room to grow. And it was also one of the things that, because I had an agent back then who I went on multiple auditions, got every callback, and I never got one job. So when burlesque came in, it was kind of my own thing that I was like, let me just try it. Let me just audition. And if they tell me no, then I know this is not the right path. And I'll just continue doing what I'm doing right now. And when they told me yes, and they were like, we'll put you in any show you want. I was like, no, you won't. That's a lie. Prove it. And then they did. And then it just kind of, I even like started doing a different act every time I performed because I thought there was going to be such a like, limit to how long I was going to be performing so I was like let me just try everything in the world and then after like two years I started being like no this is I can I should take this a little bit more seriously that's a juicy like beginning story I I'm very lucky to have had the people in my life that I did like Pochop, Jeezy there's just so many people that are still who I believe super important to burlesque to see this 10 years later is kind of like amazing because like, I mean, besides that, we were also going to school with Shea Coulee and hanging out with Shea Coulee. So it's like seeing all of us kind of like figure out what we wanted to do and give it our all has been honestly, not only like inspiring to keep going forward, but like magical to look back at. With what Bazooka said, Right. You were in the right place at the right time, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think that like I I, I, I could see it. It wasn't like I was just kind of like accidentally getting into it. Like I definitely knew that there was like it felt different. Like I feel like when people talk about 
drag and they get into it or they find whatever their passion is, there's this like feeling that you have that you can't really explain. It's just kind of like falling in love. And honestly, like I had never felt that feeling. And I always struggled with like creating artistically in performance because I can memorize things easily, but I never really understood that my strength was being a comedian and, 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 just even my other strengths. Like I wasn't even hosting until I moved to Los Angeles. Like me and Jeezy hosted one show once, but it was still not something that I was thinking that I was going to be doing or would technically like a little bit more than performing. But it's just, yeah, like I knew that the school and the artists that I was around were people who were better than me, who I could learn from and really motivated me and each other. Like, they still talk exactly the same way now about themselves and each other that they did 10 years ago. Right. I can see that. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, your first two years and I can see this, I can see this. This sounds like very much like newbie kind of mentality, right? You're throwing anything that sticks to the wall. You're doing a new act every, like every week, every other week, like just trying to see like what works or trying to like burn through it because like, well, maybe I'm only going to do this for two years and like, I have this idea, so I need to do it right now. Yeah. What switched for you to take that breath and like take that pause and realize that you needed to maybe work on things and let things cook a little bit longer? I guess that happened later. That happened later in the career because in the beginning, like the first two years, yeah, I was just trying to see what it was that worked for me. And then like after two years, I mean, I moved to Los Angeles and that's like its own story. But moving to Los Angeles, I, I started back at square one because it wasn't like Chicago audiences and LA audiences are completely different. So it's like whatever worked in Chicago isn't going to necessarily work in LA. So going to LA it kind of felt like I was just kind of working as hard as I could, as often as I could. And I wasn't really putting a lot of thought into everything until I was here for a while. And then I started being like, what do I really want to say? What do I want to put my money into as far as my costumes? What do I want to put my time into as far as creation? And that's when I started getting a little bit more political with my acts and like never to like reaching like a therapeutic level with my acts where I needed to like do stuff, but I definitely wanted to make sure that every act that I did had a comedic yet political commentary. And that took a while. That took definitely like probably the first five years. I want to step back. Okay. There's a lot of things that I want to ask you about, right? I want to ask you about LA. I want to ask you about this like interplay of political and comedic, but geez Louise told me, that I needed to watch all of your videos. And then I spent a lot of this week while I was doing my day job watching your um, Cuban Missile series, right? Where you documented that move from Chicago to LA. And you have in one of your episodes towards the end, a video of you from your eighth or sixth birthday dancing and whoever's recording was being incredibly encouraging were you always a performer? Like, were you always a dancer? Were you always kind of like a clown growing up? Like, was that an area that you were supported in? Uh, yeah, no, I was definitely very much a jokester, but it kind of was weird because I'd have a lot of like, for lack of a better word, shame. I wanted attention, but like if something worked really well, it would make me super nervous and then I would shut down. 
So like, especially that video. Yeah, I was like eight years old. I was dancing to Janet Jackson from Rhythm Nation. Yes, Queen. Uh, but it was my mom and she was actually making fun of me because even though she was encouraging me, she was making fun of me because I was dancing silly in the video because she made me dance on video and I didn't want to. And I had been dancing well before, but the minute she took out the video camera, that's when I started being like ashamed. So I started just acting like a goofball instead of actually dancing well. And in Spanish, she's like, he was doing it well five minutes ago. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, but now you have a fucking video camera on me and I don't want people to, I just was shy, which was really weird because I also wanted to be the center of attention. So that was just something that I think later I realized was a little bit of part of my queerness and not being able to just love myself the right way. Uh, Cause once I did, and once I figured that out, I was able to like merge it all together and then just really live my personality in an authentic way where I didn't really have to care about what people were thinking or if like, I'm never really shy anymore. Now it's more like I'm reserved and I tried to, if I'm ever looking shy, it's just more like I'm reserved than I'm actually, I'm definitely not shy anymore. I have a follow-up question to that. So you mentioned, you know, queerness and loving yourself the right way. How, how, what does that mean? Can you like give us a little bit more about that? That would definitely differ with every single human being. Everyone's different. Everyone has a different journey and they're different and everyone thinks differently and everyone is on a different point of the spectrum. And and a lot of the times that fluctuates from (laughs) decade to decade. So it's really like a personal thing. Um, but I just feel like within myself, something to kind of like umbrella it is I remember as a kid, I just got progressively angrier. Like I went from shy to angry. And I remember after a few years of being angry, I was like, I'm tired. Like, <laughs> I'm tired. Like, I that's why when I look at people who yell all the time, I'm like, aren't you like tired? How do you do this for four decades? Like, let it go, baby. Figure out what's happening to you. And I remember I was 19 And I was just yelling at my mom for nothing. And I looked at her and I was like, you haven't done nothing wrong to me. (laughs) Like I checked myself, which I'm really good at. I was like, you haven't done nothing wrong to me. Why am I so angry all the time? And I had already come out. So I thought that that would have been the answer. And it wasn't because even though I had come out, I had not really taken advantage of what those opportunities present. So I never really, I still hadn't gone to gay clubs. I didn't have any gay friends. So I just had this surrounding environment that didn't understand me while I was trying to figure it out. So it was just weird. So it wasn't until I decided to move to Chicago that I realized for me and what I do think a lot of other people need to do is I think everyone needs to leave the nest for a while, especially if they have a good nest. Like if your parents take care of you, um, and you are struggling with figuring out what's your place in life or why you're angry. It's like, you need to remove yourself from that situation and just go find yourself and go listen to other people and realize how other people live their lives. Because I was definitely very privileged as a child and understood that, but still understood that I was different. And if I was honest about it, I could potentially be hurt. So there was just all this kind of uh, life isn't fair kind of mentality, which is just, what it is like life isn't fair fucking deal with it but you can't control your destiny you can't control your situation and like even lola says you're the architect of your dreams so it's like if i had known that and if i had the right because my parents were super supportive too like i mean i wanted to dress up like 
uh, Margaret Hamilton in The Wizard of Oz, The Wicked Witch as F4, and they let me in full drag. So like they were super supportive, but I still wasn't supportive because of just my school environment, my friends, like what I was being fed. So until I kind of went to a completely different city and just started surrounding myself with artists and realized that I was an artist and I had not allowed myself to learn how to be one as a child, I started, I felt like I started living at 20, which, you know, better than 60. Right. Lots of people don't have these kinds of realizations at any point in their lives, or it doesn't hit them till they're 60 or 80. And then, you know, and then what? Yeah, you can do it then too. Cause I, I honestly, and this is a side note, but I had a weird dream the other day where I had a uh, alternate universe and it was still the pandemic, still 2020, but I still lived at home and I never moved away from Miami and I never pursued my dream. And I was at that point, 36 still. And I was like, I need to start now. And I remember just waking up being like, thank God you started 20 years ago and not now. <laughs> but, oh my God. I just got the chills. Yeah. But, but it's true. And I remember at 19, it wasn't even until 25 when I really started burlesque 25. I remember being like, I'm so old. What am I doing with my life? And I was like, when you're 55, you're going to look back at 25 and think you were a baby. And you're going to be like, and that's a lot of time. You have to live your life all over again to get to 55. So what are you going to do? You got to like figure out what you want to do and finding burlesque and just kind of give, going full throttle at it and like risking kind of pretty much everything for it was really my belief in like, I've already played the straight and narrow game and that just made me unhappy. So I know following my dreams is going to be the answer. Like, I just know it is. And it's been 10 years of me doing it and, I, and I'm still not wrong. Like, even with the bad stuff, like I know, I look at my life and I'm like, still bewildered by some of the things that I've done and people that I know and surround myself with. Following that thought, right, you mentioned needing to leave the nest. Yes, you had a wonderful, supportive home environment, but leaving the nest, going off to college, going to Chicago really helped you get more settled and understand yourself better. And then at the start of season two of your show, it's two years after being in LA. So you'd left Chicago two years ago. At the beginning of that episode, talk about needing to leave Chicago and you left Chicago with a goal to change yourself and in turn change your life where you've then accomplished more than you ever could. And so that obviously was eight years ago, eight, nine years ago Mm. now. Mm. How do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like you've accomplished like even more? Like what else, what other shit have you like learned by leaving the nest of Chicago for LA? At the moment, I actually came across a video recently because I was like pulling up an old YouTube channel. And I, when I finally cracked into it, there was like a private video that I never put out because it's just me for like 10 minutes bawling my eyes out, being like, I don't want to (laughs) move. I don't want to go on this tour. I'm nervous. I'm scared, but I know it's like the right thing I need to do. And I know like my, it was, it's like when you go on stage and uh right before you go on stage that level of anxiety and nerve that every performer that's a good performer has oh yeah it, yeah it's it was like that except knowing that like i really was putting my faith in this like community uh that i really i mean i had jeezy as kind of my overall like mom to be like should i trust this person to stay at their house and stuff so i had insurance i remember still kind of thinking that I could be risking this all just to like fall flat on my face. And I didn't really plan it the best, but it worked out better than I could have ever imagined it. And I also kind of went through a breakup right before the move. So that kind of catapulted it because the person I was with 
made a lot of their dreams come true. So when I didn't have that person in my life closely anymore, I decided that it made sense to me to do the same. And I was healthy. I didn't have any sort of obligations to keep me in Chicago. The dream was always to go to LA, especially if you're studying theater and acting. So I just kind of didn't want to wait anymore. I had been in Chicago for like seven years. I knew going into it, I think I had the best mentality going into LA because I've seen other people move to LA and seen how their mentality has made it harder for them to stay in LA because I moved to LA thinking I had to start from scratch, even though I had already been doing it for two years. Like I already knew that no one gave a fuck. I was already doing, I'm not doing drag. I'm not doing anything that people understand. I still have to sell it to people, still have to sell it to them to this day. But I knew that LA didn't have a male burlesque scene like New York did and Seattle did and Chicago did. So I wanted to try to be a part of creating something that was equally had the heart of the ones that were in the other cities in LA. So the year that I left from the year that I decided from the month that I was like, I'm going to leave this year (laughs) to the year later to the 365 days later, I, every dream that I wanted, I had my own apartment in LA, even if it was a bachelor with no kitchen, I had my own apartment in LA and Hollywood. I was working at an amazing photography studio that I could walk to work. Uh, I was still doing burlesque shows. There were some that were walking distance to my house. So like those kind of dreams, I would have never been able to be like, oh yeah, that's going to be a reality for me when I was living in Chicago. But I had to just kind of risk it and just be like, hey, Worst case scenario, it sucks. And then I know for a fact that it sucked and I gave it my all. But if I give it my all and it becomes amazing, then the sky's the limit. And I and it still feels like that. Like I if anything in my life I don't regret, it's moving like that. And I have some horror stories from that trip, but uh, but it worked. It's hard. It's a hard place to live. And you're not saying that it wasn't hard, but you put in the work and it paid off. I think it paid off for sure. Well, it also, it's not only, I think the hardest thing for people to realize is that it's not only hard work because it's very chill. California has that chill vibe. So you still have to work hard while being chill, which is fantastic because non-chill people, it it comes out, but it's, it's not that it's not only hard, but it's also that you have to like, kind of like, like a female pop star, you have to like reinvent yourself. You can't just coast through life shirtless with a guitar and unless you can do that and like, you know, but for the most part, especially in the nightlife scene, you really do have to figure out how to not only be easy to work with, but talented. And that's the thing. A lot of people can be super talented, but they're hard to work with or they're easy to work with and then they don't show up and and you can't rely on them. So it's like it still has those same kind of problems that regular cities have. It's just heightened because everyone's trying to make it in L.A. So the competition is there. But it's also like weird because a lot of people, when I say I want more male burlesque performers or just more kind of masculine or you know male identified performers i see a lot of people who uh, are like don't you not want competition it's like how the fuck (laughs) how the fuck are we going to create a sustainable entertainment um, field if we're not if there's no one else to do it if there's two people doing it so and how do you grow if there's really only the same people doing it or there's two people doing it you need different ideas, different people, different artists. And LA is definitely, there's no limit of the different types of artists that you're going to get. So it's always growing. And I've noticed too, in the last, like 
every five years, it's, it's a different generation technically. So it's like the kids now are performing differently because they have drag race and they have this idea of perfection that we didn't have 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. And the sense of, of moral obligation to us as a society, to people that we don't understand. There was a lot more comedy that was, uh, you know, dumbed down and, and hitting low hanging fruit back in the day. And now it's like, no, the good comedy is the smart comedy. And that's one of those things that it's like, I love that evolution, but I can see how some people don't want to elevate because especially like, and not to like throw too many things out there, but that's one of the biggest things that I've learned as to how I became a sought after host was because most of the hosts whose jobs I replaced, quote unquote, were only replaced because the producer would be like, hey, can you switch this up? Because this isn't really working for our audience. And the host would be like, this is how I'm fucking doing it. Oh, I can't even picture you saying that. Like, I, I can't, I feel like you would be like, yeah, I can switch it up. Or, you know, we wouldn't have to have that conversation because you'd be bringing something fresh every time. And I also do believe that I don't have all the answers. So I do believe that the producer of the show knows their fucking audience a little bit more than I do. Mm -hmm. So I don't mind trying to figure out what works best for them because I, I, I don't want to be the same host every time. Maybe I do want to be dirty as hell at a bar and then family friendly. Pita Bonito, he can do it all. Trying, trying. Okay, I want to ask you about masculinity a little bit more. So you mentioned this in the beginning of our conversation here. Our question with notes from Shan. Okay, I'm going to read it off. You have, and I think if anyone has ever encountered you on stage or on the internet, you have a unique like queer machismo that I feel is like totally unique to you. And you've used the words queer, you've used the words like masculine in our conversation so far. And from Shan's point of view, your burlesque is uniquely queer and masculine at the same time. And is that a focal point for you? Like, is that something that you think about when being Tito Bonito, when creating an act or creating, you know, a stage, you know, bit or something like that? Uh, I think it's just because that's me in general. Like, I think I'm a masculine person that's obviously a homosexual. So I do think that the biggest thing that works for me as Tito is that 99% of the time, it's just I'm myself. Like, it's not really Tito is not a different character from Anthony. Hello, government name. So like, I don't that is one of the things that has helped me so much because I, especially as a host, it's helped me to just be authentic because I don't have to come up with this character. I just am. So I live and people can, can see that and they can, and it feels like that. Like it it doesn't feel unauthentic. So with my acts for the most part, um, yeah, I do analyze them to death. Like I need them to be for the most part political. I need them to balance a level of queerness so that I'm not just a guy walking on stage trying to like be hot because that's not what I think of myself anyways. I think of myself as a person who loves to be naked, first of all, Mm -hmm. but I love, I love, love comedy. I think comedy is so healing and so hard to do well, especially when you're already like having to take your clothes off and then also make that look dynamic and not just like you're undressing yourself the biggest thing I look at when I'm creating my acts is have I done this before and if I have how can I do it different do I really need to do it and uh what kind of political message am I sending because I do feel as a gay person especially a lot of the times I was the only man in a predominantly female show 
So I do feel like listening to your interview with Bazooka and Ray, they were doing burlesque like slightly before me and definitely were much more ahead of me when they were successful doing burlesque in the beginning than I was. So my journey was a little bit different than theirs. I've definitely gotten a lot of, a lot more love than I think that I deserved in the beginning of my career. I think it's also because it's like, I don't, I already tried drag and it wasn't for me and I love it and I appreciate it. And that's why it wasn't for me is because I think it's such an elevated art form that is so much more difficult than people even want to admit that it just wasn't. And it also just, I didn't want to be a girl on stage. I didn't want to be a female impersonator and I didn't know how to be a man on stage. Like that didn't, that didn't kind of exist except for, performance art which inevitably is burlesque so once that kind of came into it that was what sold it to me was the fact that I could be me which is a balance of both and I never really thought of it as something that was like no one else could do it or no one else was doing it I just thought it made sense to me and I could create a lot of characters based off around that like a boy scout could be queer masculine robin from batman could be queer masculine my cuban immigrant can be you know that but they all kind of have political undertones which is the root of why i created them that's that's a juicy answer that yeah <laughs> i mean that's totally something that i see from you and your acts and you know in your work as a host and that's something that i see like in g's in both her acts and as a host right that level of authenticity you know, some people, right, they transform into like a totally different character, like all of that. But like, what I love and what I think makes like both you and G's like masters at what you do is that like, it feels so real. And I believe the story that you're selling all of the time. And, you know, not that we need to be on or like, you know, the, de- the definition of on changes all of the time. But, you know, it, it feels like you, like it feels like my conversation with you right now and like the warm, fuzzy, loving feelings that I'm getting like just from talking to you. And I hope our listeners like feel this too, is like kind of like the same ish vibes that I get. Like when I see you tell a story on stage, it's like, yeah, this feels like a wholly fleshed out, like real ass human interacting with me right now. And it's great. You're really good at it. And that's how, honestly, I feel too, because especially like Behoff and like the few times where you're on a stage where you can't see the audience, that's like a hard time. And I think that's why I could see that I was nervous in the videos at Behoff is because I couldn't look at you in the eyes. But it's like, if I can look at you in the eyes, man, it it does feel like we are having a conversation and it feels as real to y'all because it is like, I'm not, there's nothing I'm saying on stage that I don't believe. Uh, I fought producers on that. I fought producers who have been like oh can you you know something problematic we don't have to get into it but and I'd be like with all due respect no like I don't I'm not gonna do it just for like like I had one producer wanting me to rape two girls on stage for a Halloween show and I was like that sounds stupid like it doesn't sound like something and I got called out in front of the whole backstage and they were like Tito doesn't want to do it I'm like I would let them fuck me up but I was like it just doesn't make sense for my narrative to be a masculine presenting dude especially when I'm hosting and so like molest two women on stage at a burlesque show like that literally sounds like you don't know what burlesque is or you just don't care like and I'm not gonna look like an idiot and that's the other part that I think too is like something that I, my privilege allowed me to kind of take risks is that a lot of the times there was this way that burlesque was being run where it was problematic and it was not for the benefit of the performers. And you were literally making $0 to be 
you know, abused technically. And I remember at one point I was like, I'm going to quit because I'm not doing all of this shit for $30. You know, like I, I do think that there is a way that we can be compensated well since we're getting naked and we have elaborate costumes and not be abused. And we can create environments that are well for us because this is LA. Like this isn't a small town that we only have a limited supply of resources. So I think when I moved here, I, it felt a little bit more hopeless. And now everyone can kind of create their own and there's so many more performers in it that it feels more like now the way that we, me and Jeezy and a lot of other people saw burlesque 10 years ago where it wasn't as many people doing it as it is now. Wow, that was a lot. <laughs> no, that's powerful. That's important. That's definitely part of the story. Like you are taking risks here and you're trying to build something out in LA that they didn't have. Like you're you're part of that. And I do think that it's like, that's the biggest thing too, is that it's like, I'm not doing any of this alone. I'm not, it's, it is still always a big part of the community. And there's a lot of like drama that comes with, you know, being a part of the community too. But I do think that if people understand the idea of what you're doing and how important it is, because to me, what always kind of sets me back into like, let's keep going is realizing the impact that burlesque had on me as an audience member and understanding that that is happening to people right now. Like maybe they don't need to go off and go perform and make a career out of it. But I know for a fact that burlesque, when it's done correctly, which is a multitude of ways, it affects people in a profound way because it not only fights the stigmas of sexuality that we have in this world, but it also presents it in a way where like, especially if you are not ripped and perfect, quote unquote, looking, it makes it so accessible because it shows you that, yeah, you don't need this facade to be perfect. You are perfect the way you fucking are, as long as you are healthy, as long as you ain't hurting nobody. And it's like, it's beyond magical. It's it's easy to forget that. And I hope that people don't, but it's easy to get like caught up in, you know, the day-to-day or whatever the grind is of our art form where we're giving the audience a transformative opportunity, right? A transformative experience. Like, no, you're not just like, you know, Robin and now you're like naked Robin, right? Like you're being your whole ass, like gay ass self on that stage. And that's like really powerful for someone to see. And like, whenever I like beat myself up, you know, for like a bad performance or a bad night, right? You know, maybe I'm like too harsh on myself, but I also have to remember like, wait, I might have been like someone's first fat person that they've ever seen naked like mm. that on a stage. And like, that's very humbling and it makes me want to work harder and recognize, I think like that's, that's what I'm trying to say, right? Like the thing that gets, maybe we don't say it often enough in burlesque, but we're part of something that's big that literally changes people's lives, right? Like maybe people aren't like us where they go and see their first burlesque show and then want to become burlesque performers. but Maybe this like let someone realize that like, okay, it's okay to be gay and funny or like it's okay to be fat and sexy. And that's like, that's the most important part, I think, about our art form and what we're doing. And I think, too, it's bigger, like you said, it's bigger than ourselves. And I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in ourselves when ourselves is our entire career it's like it, it is you putting yourself on stage like in in, in crazy ways and, and surrounding yourself but it's like yeah you, your business is you but at the end of the day it's like what you're doing is not about you it's about everyone else and that's I think true in 
you know, as actors and as musicians, like when you put a song out, it's like that song belongs to the people. Like it don't belong to you anymore. It's more like a shared experience. And that's the magic of art. And that's why it's like little things like just being appreciative of it and, and understanding like when you are really busy, because it's like last year, last November, we had a huge uh, production for the anniversary of Tease, if you please. And I mean, we had like backup dancers. We were at the Palace Theater where Thriller was fucking filmed. Like it was a moment. And my parents both flew in, which they never, ever in my adult life had flown in together. But it was my birthday. So they flew in, saw the show. It was epic. And I could not say enough to them. Thank you. They were like, stop saying thank you we get it and now this year i was like do you see why i was saying thank you because i just knew that like those are moments that you even if i was busy too busy to enjoy them because i was i couldn't enjoy it i couldn't really look at my family much because i was teching all day i was working and by the time you finish the show you're exhausted and so it's like i couldn't enjoy it but i remember being like just thank you because it is something that i can look back on in retrospect and be like wow (laughs) like that's amazing it's important so you've mentioned a few times now maybe we'll play back the tape and count it but basically in every single one of your answers you mentioned being political in your acts is something that's really important to you um can you tell me more about that like the decision to do that how you do that why you do that think the decision why i did that is because burlesque to me from my understanding and what Uh, this resurgence is, is that it's more political. I mean, it always was a political statement and it's a satire. So that I took from that. But when I decided like what I wanted to do and how I could differentiate myself from other people, my first act that was political, that was one of the first acts I ever did was the Cuban immigrant coming from Cuba to America. And it's like, I've dissected it a million times. That was originally the act that I was like, I want to win most comedic at Behoff with this. The biggest hurdle with that one was just understanding how I can do something like that and relay it to people who kind of won't understand it. Like, how can I perform a Cuban immigrant act in Alaska? Will they understand that? And so understanding that it can't just be for me, for me, I wanted a layer of comedy so that I can still talk about it so that if your friend understood it, you could talk about it in a way where it wasn't like jarring. It was that you had a good experience And then you could say that that one was still kind of the hardest one I've ever done. That's political, but every other one is fucking clear as hell. And then basically just the act of actually being queer and showing your body on stage to me is political is to be in environments where for the first six years of my career, I wasn't working in gay bars. I was literally only working in straight bars and, and seeing, yeah, I had a lot of guys would be like, I'm turning around and not looking at this. But a lot of men, a lot of, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, about to do a cowboy act, thinking my life was going to end. Right. And they all were like in love with it. And I realized that it is this like, this play of masculinity and femininity allows like people who kind of don't understand it, but are a little bit more open than they want to admit to, to vibe with it in a way where they That in itself is political. Me allowing someone who doesn't really see gay people in their lives ever and then just kind of like opening it up a little bit where they can be like, oh, like that dude made me laugh or that whatever the fuck it is. For women, men, anything. I think the entire, there's so many different elements of politics that come into play when you're creating art and burlesque that it's just like inevitable. Like even now, my next act that I really want to do that I'm struggling with and I've been trying to do for years was a matador act. Because I don't, it is a part of my family's heritage, but 
I do think, obviously it's a barbaric sport. So how do I make that an act where I can comment on it without glorifying it? And sometimes it gets to the point where I'm like, you can't. And then that just gets, you know, that just gets scrapped. And then you try to come up with something different. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right that like burlesque is political and like our very existence as like people of color here, like is political and you do it. Like what I love about your performing, your performances is that you do it in such a way, right? Like in your, this is obviously intentional where it's comedic and it's like charming and disarming, but still incredibly powerful. Like you're, I just needed to pause and say that like, yeah, you're doing it. You're good at it. I can see it. I get it. Thank you. I do. I do think that it's also like a big part of like, I do think that especially as a uh, masculine looking, <laughs> I laugh at that because it's a part of it, but man, I do think that it's, it, it can be weird. Uh, unless you are really, really good of a performer, which I was very much learning as I started burlesque. Um, I think it's easier to be sexy when you are, you know, you've done this your whole life. But me, it's like, girl, I have shit balance. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm fucking thinking I'm the shit when I'm on stage when I don't actually feel that way. It can sneak in every once in a while because it's like, if I'm, you know, making people laugh enough, that honestly, like, while I'm on stage will give me some confidence to like, give a sexy look where I may not normally do that, but it's like, cause I'm like, Oh shit, it's working. Like you vibe with this. Like you like this cute. Let's go. But it's never like my intention to be sexy. It's just inevitable that it's like, I, you know, I'm going to get naked in a sense. And, but the, the general thing for sure is that it's like, I want you guys to have a fucking good time. Like, I don't want, it's very rare where I make an act where I'm like, I, just want to perform it's like no nah, i want this to be a like collaborative effort let's all love it yeah and then he, and you don't have to if you don't want to that's totally fine too you can't get a refund though i'm sorry right yeah you. no no we already like the, i already got my drink ticket like we're there's no refunds you, yep you already ate half your food you can't send it back i love you right right thanks enjoy the show bye okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so i have a couple more questions for you but before we okay. wrap up this is a question from your mother, my <gasps> goddess, my number one in my heart and in my soul and in my top 50 ballot every year, year after year, the number Same. one burlesque performer in the world, the like best human ever, the person I love texting every single day, even if, you know, she doesn't text me back and she might have changed her number uh, because I just <laughs> blow this phone up all the time and she'll just usually give me a haha and then like walk away. Uh, but that's fine. That's like enough. Anyway, so we have a question from Jeez Louise. So I asked Jeez, I was texting with her um, earlier this week and I was like, okay, like I'm you know, I'm interviewing Tito later this weekend and I'm really nervous. And she's like, oh my God, don't be, it's going to be so easy. This guy doesn't shut up. You're going to be fine. (laughs) And I was like, okay, like, do you have any questions? Like, is there anything that I need to know? Or is there any stories or any questions that you want me to like bring up that you think I can't come up with like on my own or something like what's something unexpected or something that you want me to ask? And this was her response. So the question (laughs) that I asked her was, what questions do you have? And her response was, I need to find him a good boo. And that oh. was like, it wasn't even a question. But that was what her response was. So we came up with a, you know, so so we talked about you and your dating life for a little bit. And oh, she no. says that she needs to find you a good boo. And something that we're wondering about, obviously, as like women who don't live in LA, 
Can you talk to us a little bit like what it's like being a male stripper and a person in entertainment trying to like date in LA? Like, is that hard? That sounds like such a dumb question, but I feel like she wouldn't have put it out there unless you had like a juicy answer for it. I mean, she, I did, I did tear up a little bit. So she definitely threw a curveball with that one. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's. Ooh, uh, okay. I will say, a, I think LA is probably hard to date in in general. And yeah, yeah, I do think it's a part. Of, it's a, it's a lot of different things. Just like anything. I do think that like, um, it has been interesting uh, dating and realizing how uh, much it, it, LA reminds me a lot of Miami. So it's not a beast that I haven't tamed before, but I wasn't dating when I lived in Miami. I only dated in Chicago. So it's something that I feel like I would have benefited from if I had done it in Miami, but it was a different time. So yeah, LA is hard because it's just hard in general. And a lot of people are self-seeking, but on the same token, I will say that so am I, because my career will always come before anybody and uh, not in the sense of like Jeezy or my family, but over somebody that I just met. Absolutely. And my career has saved my life multiple times and uh, a man hasn't yet. So until a man does or a person does, I'm not going to limit myself. Um, I feel like it's one of those things where I, I am not one of the people. I wish that I was one of the type of people that enjoyed dating in the sense of like, I wish that I could date somebody and not, you know, you know, I just invest too much. So I've learned that instead of investing in people in the sense of like dating, when I have bad taste, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in my career. And that is honestly why I believe that my career, like I do think that my partner is my fuck is Tito Bonito because I make all my decisions based off of my career. I, will continue to do so unashamedly. And I do think that the right person will, I mean, I've been talking to her about it. I wish I could just date Jeezy. I wish that we could just figure it out. We would be amazing. I would support her. I just am a total bottom. So we're going to have to figure out how to get her to learn how to top. Uh, I'm sure she fucked my brains out, but yeah, no, it is, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I do think that the older I get, the, which I hate saying this because it's not a hundred percent what I believe, but it kind of is like on the path of it. It's that I get a little bit more jaded. So it's like, I don't really look at it like, Oh my God, it's going to be perfect. I look at it like it's going to be work. And if I can see that someone doesn't want to put in work, it doesn't take very long to notice that in a human being. So I very seldomly am going to like invest in that way. Because, yeah, like, it was already hard before. So especially this year, it's, like, it is impossible. So I do think that's one of those things where it doesn't, that's not on my goal list. I don't think it should be, like, finding a partner. It's one of those things where it's, like, I have career goals. I have uh, friend goals. I want to make sure my friends are happy, the people that I love, my family. And that's a lot of people I got to take care of, so... (laughs) Right. No, Uh, I get it. Like relationship goal. I mean, like relationship goals in terms of I want to make sure my friends and family are happy and that there's love there and everything. But like, I've never been someone either, you know, just making sure I'm hearing you right. Like I've never been someone either who's like, my goal this year is to like get a boyfriend or something like that's not. I mean, I was, 
I was, I was. And, and Jeezy's probably laughing at me correcting that right now. Cause it's like, <laughs> I was, I was absolutely. And I am, but I've learned that because I'm so eager for it, I don't make the best decisions. Ooh, so, okay. That's, that's that, good self-reflection. That's, and I'm telling you, I'll check myself and I'm not the best all the time, but I definitely check myself. And I know that it's like, I, I understand the idea too, that it's like, I want to travel every month. Like this year in March, I was going to six different places. So I can understand how someone may not trust me, but unfortunately I'm fucking trustworthy. So I don't play that game of like, no, I, I'm not going to let your baggage. Cause I've done that already. So it's like, I'm not going to let your baggage from whoever the fuck else was out there make you think of me differently when I know for a fact when I'm traveling all I care about is getting paid getting to do what I love and staying in someone's house and meeting new people like it's never I never hook up when I'm traveling because it's just there's no time like there's literally no time if you're doing it right so I can understand but I'm also like I'm really good. Like, cause I would rather be alone than with the wrong person. And I feel like I've been with the wrong person too many times now where I'm like, don't worry about that for a while. Like, and I think that used to be something that I was really afraid of. Kind of like as a kid, I used to be afraid of death and now I'm not. It's kind of that same thing. I used to always be afraid that I was going to be alone forever. And then I'm like, but you do know you're not alone. Right. Cause it's like, I hate saying that. And it doesn't feel, if you're not on that same wavelength, it doesn't sound, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's like, you're not alone. If you have the right people around you, you have the right friends, the right family, you literally are better off than if you have none of that and a boo that. That is like is shitty and you. right. Yeah. Or even maybe not, maybe not even shitty. Maybe they are, maybe they are just under the radar of shitty and complacent and maybe they Ooh. give you what you want, but like, but like they don't try hard and they don't, they don't, you, you want your life to grow and they don't, they're happy just being stagnant. So it's like, it's not just about being with good people. It's about being with the right person and you could be with a good person. That's not right for you. And I feel like I have engaged how to find that right person. I feel like that person has to come knock on my door. This but was we'll see. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this was like good, unexpected, like relationship learnings to wrap yeah, up this was, burlesque episode. <laughs> that was a, that was a left curve for sure. When she said, when she said that I was like, <gasps> well, that's the thing, right? Okay. Like that's the beautiful thing, right? Like you love her so much and she loves you right back to have your, you know, your mom looking out for you wants to find you a good boo. That's important. She's cute. I mean, she should just be my boo, but you know, we'll see. Right. I guess you're shooting your shot here. I mean, you've been doing that. It's fine. <laughs> She'll listen to this episode and be like, nah, never mind. And just like hit skip on the rest should of the be, should, No, she's going to be like, bitch, I've been telling you we should have been dating already. Oh my God. I can hear her say it. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Well, ooh, okay. I feel like we covered so much good shit. So much about your like burlesque origin story and your career and like being gay and now like relationship like ooey gooeyness like ooh <laughs> Tito tell me more about your Instagram show tell me more about like what you have going on and like what's up where can people find you on the internet all of those things uh people can always find me at titobonito.com I pretty much keep that very up to date and uh there's a lot of shit on there uh, so you can definitely keep up to date with me there. Uh, I also have been, I think one of the best things that's been a part of my life this year was, uh, 
I created a late night talk show kind of thing on Instagram live called the Tito Bonito show just to get my, cause I, it was hard to produce shows and make money because I'm not, I haven't figured that out yet. So we're just going to take a break on that. But with Tito Bonito shows, it was a really fun way to not only kind of audition because my dream is to be a late night talk show host, um, but also to uh, promote my friends and promote a lot of people that I knew who were pretty much, you know, the shit or famous. So um, I've been doing that since May. We just finished episode 22 and we're about to take a break on it just so the holidays and like the new year can come through. But uh, it's been pretty amazing. I've had some guests like Lisa Lefai Lopez, my childhood Shiro's little sister was one of my guests on the show. Wild. That is Uh, wild. Yeah. And then I've had a lot of like amazing queer trans uh, burlesque icons like Joe Boobs, Indigo Blue, Jeez Louise is on a bunch of episodes. Um, so I've, I've interviewed a ton of people like Donna Hood. So that's a really good time. And we play games. So it's not just like uh, an interview. We have like, I play, as you said, Fuck, Mary Kill. And one of my favorite games is Jeez Louise sponsored uh, Name That Stripper. Uh, we got to bring game. that shit. Love it. It's such a such a good way to promote your friends too that aren't guests on the show. So uh, it's on IGTV, like every episode, and it's also on YouTube. So you can watch those, and there are really good conversations with a ton of like not only burlesque icons but um, other artists from like all realms of the entertainment field. I'm so excited. If people haven't seen that, go check it out. Again, like I mentioned, you have an impeccably organized YouTube page. If someone's listening to this and needs more shit to consume, Tito Benito's got you covered. I got you. I got you. Let me entertain. Let me entertain. Let me not do that. Let me not do that. No, that was great. We'll take it. Tito Bonito. Thank you so much for doing this episode of the Pacey Tapes. It has been an honor learning about you and talking to you. And I adore you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you so much, Shomai, for for having me on this. I say four because you know you're the fourth uh, 21st century burlesque entertainer in the world. Uh, I've had such a great time. Thank you so much for talking to me and inviting me to your show. Uh, I hope that we can in the next year see each other in person and hang out for real. For real. Okay. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks again, Tito. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, this was recorded before the 2020 top 50 was announced. So Number seven, Tito Bonito. Again, congratulations. You can catch Tito on Instagram at Cuban Missile Crisis. And big news, Tito's talk show, The Tito Bonito Show, will be returning on March 30th on the Clubhouse app and on Apple Podcasts. And his very first guest of this relaunch is the incredible, so fucking cool, Margaret Cho. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes, and thank you once more to this episode's sponsor, Queen's Crown Jewels. Standout shine, priced for artists. You can check out their rhinestone selection at queenscrownjewels.com. Much love always to the members of the Pasty Tapes fan club. You know who you are. And if you want to unlock some special sneak peeks, some fun behind the scenes, and some great goodies in the mail, Visit thepaceytapes.com and join the fan club now. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. 
With my full Aries powers, my birthday again is March 24th, and I am throwing Show My More's 30th birthday boa bash. You can find more information on my Instagram, at Show My More. I would love for you to join, and if you want to do something extra or if you don't want to join, if you want to fill up my P.O. Box with fun goodies, my P.O. Box is P.O. Box 47559, Chicago, Illinois, 60647. You can send me anything. Send me a postcard. Send me a recipe. Don't send me food, but you can send me $30 in singles, and I would think that that was very funny. Dear listener, thank you again so much for sticking around and for listening to this. I will be back in a few weeks, and I will talk to you soon.